Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message really blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions or want more information on our church, please visit www.theporchchurch.tv. Well, welcome to uh, week five of our six-week series looking at the seven I Am Statements of Jesus. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Week five, six-week series, seven, uh, seven statements of Jesus. Before we get there, though, uh, I just want to take a moment to celebrate last weekend. Is that cool? Greg's excited about that. Glad the rest of you are, too. Last weekend was Easter, uh, which I'm excited about. So I just wanted to share some information, tell some stories, because uh, we had an incredible weekend. So we did two services, and uh, we doubled our regular attendance for Easter Sunday, which is awesome, right? That's worth celebrating. That's worth being aware of, and uh, we're grateful for all of that. On top of that, we had an Easter egg hunt, and, uh, and you guys remember like when Jesus like took the fish and the loaves and he miraculously multiplied them? Right? Well, we ended with more Easter eggs than we started with. And I don't know, I'm not saying that happened, I'm just saying something happened. And uh, thanks to your generosity, you brought Easter eggs, we're grateful for that. We probably have thousands of Easter eggs now, and I had to buy an additional tote uh, just to keep the Easter eggs that we made off with in addition to this year. Those are great stories too, right? But on top of that, uh, there were a number of people that I got to meet that were the results of prayer. So either you wrote down a prayer request, hey, pray for this person, this coworker that I'm going to be inviting to Easter, and then you got to introduce me to them at Easter. Or you told me throughout the week, hey, remember that person I was praying for? They showed up. There were at least 10 people, 10 families that I got to meet that had that kind of story. And and that's worth celebrating. But, but there's one other thing that, that I just want to celebrate with together, and that's you guys know that we, we did this egged thing, right? We made the stupid video. It was awesome. We laughed about it, and we encouraged you to go hide Easter eggs in your neighbor's yards, right? Well, this past week, I got to hear a number of those stories, and we started off with like, man, I thought there was like eight people who did it, and then I heard from a couple more families, and it was like 15 families that did this. Now, as far as I can tell, we're up over like 25 families who did this egged thing to hide eggs for their neighbors, which is really awesome and really cool, right? We got to hide Easter eggs, bless our neighbors, bless the families in our neighborhood uh, 25 times, which is just awesome. But but I did get to hear one other story, which is that so uh, somebody from the porch egged their neighbor who doesn't go, doesn't go to the porch, not connected with our church at all. They were just blessing them. That's awesome. Then they actually read the instructions, which are like, now we egged you, now you egg somebody else, right? So the neighbors actually took and egged their neighbors, their friends, and these people who got egged, who are now two generations removed, showed up at Easter and got to hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Is that cool or what? So those stories are important. It's because of those things that this is why we do what we do. This is why we shine the light and the love of Jesus in our neighborhoods. And it's so powerful because it might not even be your invitation, right? It might not even be your actions that result in somebody coming to hear about the gospel. But because we're faithful and consistent and because we listen to God and obey him in those directions, people get to hear about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. And that one story right there makes Easter completely worth it. It makes the egg thing and the video totally worth it. It makes the Easter egg hunt totally worth it. And, uh, and that's what we're doing there. So first of all, if you were involved in any capacity, whether you showed up at Easter, whether you bought Easter eggs, stuffed Easter eggs, whether you were a part of the Easter egg hunt, whether you egged your neighbors, no matter what it was, 
I just want to say thank you. Thanks so much for going along with us on that journey, for trying something new, uh, and for stepping out and inviting or at least blessing your neighbors. And secondarily, I would just encourage you to stick around because uh, we're already planning for next Easter. We're looking at some service opportunities. We've just met uh, as our outreach team a few short weeks ago. We're looking at those opportunities that we have to be a blessing to our neighbors, to shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ with people around us. So some of those events are like the family fun night that's coming up April 27th. Those are events that we want to begin inviting our community to. One of them looks like an answer to prayer uh, that we get to serve at the Peak View Carnival on May 11th. I'll have more information for you next week about that, but we're excited about that opportunity. We're going to do the dollar car wash again this summer. Uh, we just have lots of things coming up here between now and by the time we get to this summer. So hang around, stick around, step in, get involved. Uh, there's lots of things going on, lots of things worth celebrating. Sound good? Cool. I'm excited about that. I'm glad that you are too. Let's, uh, let's jump into our message this morning though. Uh, we're going to be continuing and again we're, in our, we're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus and we've kind of been saying hey, what, if we, what if we pulled back the label here and instead of like what we would write on the chalkboard like you saw in that video, what if we kind of let Jesus fill in the blank? What does the Bible say? What do we have recorded about who Jesus says that he is? And there's these seven I am statements in the Gospel of John and so we've kind of just been walking through them one one after another, week after week. And so last week we looked at the fact that Jesus was the resurrection and the life and we said that's really good news for us because we're all dead in one way or another. And if Jesus is resurrected, then that means that we can be resurrected and have new life as well. But today we're going to keep chugging along. I'm going to encourage you to turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you brought a Bible, you want to follow along on your smartphone, uh, John chapter 13. If you didn't, I'd encourage you just to slip your hands up. Uh, our ushers are coming around with Bibles right now. Now we're going to be on page 507 of the Worship Center Bibles, page 507. If you don't own a Bible, please keep this. It's our gift to you. We just want you to have God's Word in your life. We're going to jump in, though, John chapter 13, though. Um, before we get there, though, I wonder if you guys have this friend. Do you have that friend who's like a know-it-all? You know what I mean? Like, and they're kind of annoying and smug about it. Right? Like, like you ask them, some, some people are putting their heads down in shame. They're like, don't point me out, don't look at me, right? But do you have that know-it-all friend? They're kind of smug about it, right? And it's like annoying, right? Not like kid brother annoying, but like the, I don't know, what do you think? You know what I mean? That kind of, if you don't, I'm that kind of person. Maybe that's why it rubs me the wrong way. So you know me, so you know that kind of person. But like in this story today, and as Jesus kind of goes through some of his stories, sometimes I get that vibe from Jesus. Is that okay to say? Front row, you might want to step back in case lightning strikes me. But like, I think that there's, I think that there's sometimes. I don't think he does it on purpose. I just think like he's the son of God. He knows lots of stuff, and and sometimes even Jesus gets a little exasperated with his followers. Is that true? It's true for me. I think it's true in Scripture. And the story that we're going to jump into today is kind of at the end of it all, right? This story is, it takes place right after the Passover meal. This is like just before the crucifixion. So as you open your Bibles, maybe you read the story headings before it. It's like Jesus washes the disciples' feet and Jesus sends out Judas to go and betray him, do the thing that he's going to do. And then this is just before Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's going to go pray uh, with his disciples. And this is like the final hour. And if the disciples don't get it by now, like it's a little too late. You know what I mean? Like there's not much time left. We're literally in the last moments before the crucifixion. And so Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. And it reminds me of like the why phase with your children. Have you been through the why phase yet with your children? 
You know what I'm talking about? What are you doing? Laundry. Why? Because we need clothes to wear. Why? Because society frowns on us running around naked all the time. I don't know why. Like, just help fold the laundry, right? Shush, stop asking questions. Jesus has a why question and answer period with some of the disciples here. So we're going to tune into that story. We're at John chapter 13. Let's start with verse 33. John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus is speaking to his now 11 disciples. He says, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. All right, biblical scholars, what are we talking about here? Talking about the death and resurrection, right? He's about to go before Pilate. He's about to endure all of those things. He's about to go to the cross to bear our penalty for us. He's going to be risen, go to the right hand of the Father, right? All of this is about to happen. And so Jesus says, look, you, uh, some stuff's about to go down, and you can't follow me in this instance. It's just not going to work out. This is when, like, all of history has been building up to, and I'm just telling you that this is about to happen. Peter wants to know why, right? He's going to ask the age-old question. Jump down to verse 36 with me. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now. Don't worry, Peter, you'll follow later. You'll come later along, but right now you just, you just can't follow me. What's the next question, like any annoying child? Why, right? Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, really? Right? Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you that before the rooster crows, right before morning, you will disown me, you will disavow me, you will claim to not even know me three times. Sometimes we lose our cool with our children. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's just me. Sometimes I lose my cool with my children. Maybe you're perfect parents. But I just see Jesus in this instance kind of going, really, Pete? Like, that's how you think this is going to go down? Let me just tell you what's about to happen here, because you don't even know what you're saying. Peter's just asking the why questions, and Jesus is like, oh, I don't know, maybe because you'll pretend you don't know me in a couple of hours. Maybe that's why, Peter. That's what's really going on here. And what's fascinating about this is that we skipped a couple of verses there. Maybe you didn't catch it if you weren't following along in the text, but we skipped, like, kind of the point of this whole dialogue that Jesus has happened as having. These are, like, New Testament kind of revolutionary ideas, and Peter just doesn't even get it. He's just like, "Woo! I'm just worried about where Jesus is going. Jump back with me to verse 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another, just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this action, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. All right, this is big news. This is new command kind of territory. This is like Jesus setting the path for the church, for you and for me. And Peter's just like, where are you going, Lord? Why can't I follow? He doesn't even t- step or tie into this big idea that Jesus is trying to connect. Is it any wonder that perhaps sometimes Jesus gets frustrated with his followers? He's trying to lead us one direction, and we're just concerned with the why, the what, the where, the how. And Jesus is going, would you just... Would you just listen for once? Would you just put away the laundry when I ask you to put away the laundry? Would you just follow me a little bit? Don't worry, though. Jesus is going to regain his composure. Take a deep breath, right? Go into the bathroom, lock the door, keep the kids out. It's cool, right? Jesus is going to be fine. I just need to explain it again to them. They're just kids after all. 
Jesus takes a deep breath. John 14, verse 1. Listen, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, then I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me, that you will also be where I am. See, you know the place to where I am going. Jesus says, just be cool, everybody. Just relax. It's all going to be okay. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to chill at his place for a little bit. I'm going to build and prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and get you. Don't miss the, the illustration and the imagery here. This is the typical way that a marriage would work out in this day and age. Somebody would go, and you'd propose, and you'd work out a deal between the dads of the two families, and then the son would say to his future wife something very similar. I'm going to go prepare a place, which usually meant an addition on to the family home. He would build the place for them to live and reside, and then he would come back and get his wife, and that would celebrate, or that would start a week-long celebration that would culminate in their marriage. Jesus is drawing their attention to this idea. He's trying to connect something new with something familiar, as is what Jesus always does. He always connects something that we know and expresses a spiritual reality about it. So Jesus reveals the where that he's going, but he ends kind of with this controversial statement, right? You know the way to where I am going, which is troubling, right? Because five verses ago, Peter asked where he was going, and he didn't say, right? He was silent about it. Pete's like, wait a minute, we just said this five verses ago, and now you say we know where you're going? Don't worry, our buddy Thomas is there. You remember Thomas from last week, right? Doubting Thomas. He gets a bad name. He's more like realist Thomas, right? He's like the only sane guy in the group, Thomas, and he's putting two and two together. So John 14, verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. You just said that two seconds ago that we don't know where you're going. Now you say that we know the way to where you're going. That doesn't add up. See, Thomas reminds us that these disciples are just ordinary followers, just like you and like me. Except that we happen to have the New Testament and we know a little bit about how the story ends, but, but they didn't. Thomas is trying to piece this together, right? You said you don't know, we don't know where you're going, we can't follow you, but we know the way, so why can't we follow you? I just don't, I just don't get it, Jesus. What are you trying to communicate? And this is Thomas's major, major question here. Jesus, if we don't know where you are going, how can we know the way? If we don't know where you're going, if we don't know the destination, then how can we know the way and the directions to get there? Let's just pause our story here. Let's jump into reality today just a little bit. I think that we can all relate to Thomas's question, right? We can all go through life just a little bit, and we kind of wonder what God is up to. Right? Like, what are you actually trying to say to me? What are you actually trying to communicate? What are you trying to get through to me? Right? I'm trying to do all the things that you ask me to do, but bills aren't matching up with paychecks, fights with family members and friends. My kids are struggling at school. Maybe they're hanging out with the wrong kids. My job is stressful. Right, Relationships are on the rocks. And you're just like, God, what are you up to? Where are you at? How does this play out? And you're in church this morning, right? So maybe you're here going, God, I'm, I'm doing it, right? Like I'm doing the thing. I took the Bible reading challenge in January, right? It's Deuteronomy right now, so I'm about to drop out. Joshua's coming. Stay with it. You can keep going. The story's going to get better here. Just keep pushing through. Maybe you're like, I took the tithing challenge last year, but that million dollars hasn't hit my bank account yet. 
right? I haven't seen the Powerball numbers, even though I read through numbers twice. Like, it's just not, it's just not adding up for me, Lord. My life still feels out of control. It's unfulfilling or just fill in the blank. And we wonder, God, where are you at? How can I follow you if it's not clear to me what I'm supposed to be doing? Why do you allow this to go on? Why is this happening to me? I thought following Jesus would fix all of this doubt, all of this unknown information, right? Just like Thomas, we don't understand what God is up to. That leaves us frustrated, perhaps confused to know how to live in such a way that pleases this God, that allows us to reach and spend eternity with him. And I think that Jesus' words to the disciples 2,000 years ago may have something to say to us as well, because we're still just as confused and we even know how the story ends. So when we follow Jesus, we get lost in these seemingly vague descriptions and they leave us confused, not sure of what it means, so we just carry on. We just keep doing what we think we ought to be doing in order to follow God, not quite sure if this is the path, if this is what we ought to do or not. And in verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way. And I'm not, I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure Thomas does, right? Thomas gives voice to our question saying, no, we don't know the way because we don't know the where. How can we know the way? If Thomas's question is, we don't know where, so how can we follow you? Our version of that question, God, if we don't know what you are up to, then how can we follow you? God, if it's not clear to us the ways in which you're working, then, then what does my faith even look like to be able to follow you? And I think this is where we see the exasperation of Jesus just a little bit, right? He's been with these same guys for three years, day and night, right? There's no holidays, there's no weekends, there's no vacations, no funerals. Get it? Resurrection. No funerals, right? One just walked out the door to go and betray him, right, for 30 pieces of silver and a kiss. Then his right-hand man tries to fight him about going to the cross, and Jesus has to throw a bucket of cold water on him and say, Pete, you don't understand. And now here's Thomas not even putting together the very piece of instructions that God just gave him about the where. They completely miss the point again and again. We're hours from the crucifixion. Jesus knows this is about to happen. He's got to be going, really, you don't, you don't know where after all this time? You don't know why after all this time? What pieces of the story aren't coming together? So Jesus has this profound answer where he's trying to answer the question, at the end, I'll be all for the rest of this time, right? We only have a short time left, and here's his answer to the disciples. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, so how can we follow you? Jesus answered in verse 6, listen, I am, I am the way, right? I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In doing so, right, he answers the question, Thomas, Peter, everybody, disciples today, right? The Father, God, is always the destination, Ever since the foundations of the earth and creation started, God's goal has been to reunite with his people, that we might spend forever in his presence. His desire, his goal, the objective of this whole Jesus thing has been that we would spend eternity with the Father. 
This is why in the previous statements, right, just before this, Jesus answers the question, the where is the Father's house? I'm going to my Father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can come with me. Thomas, I just answered the question. I just answered where. What more do you need to know? Because I am the way to get to the Father. I'm the way to walk through that. I'm the truth. I'm the destination as well. And I'm also the very sustenance, the very sustaining point of your life. Let's walk through those briefly. What does it mean? What does he mean by the way? He means he's the path. He's the way to walk. He's the way forward. What does he mean by truth, right? Well, no one gets to the Father except through him. So while the Father is the ultimate destination, the, the entry point to the Father's house is guarded by like, a, by like a thing that opens and closes and lets people in and out. What's that thing called again? The gate, right? This is what Jesus said just a few short weeks ago. He's trying to say the same thing over and over and over and over again. And the disciples just don't get it. Not only is he the goal, the gate, not only is he the ultimate destination, but he's the way to get to the gate. He's the path that leads up to the Father's house, and he's the life that sustains you for the journey. See, Thomas's primary problem with the question is that he confuses the destination with the way. He confuses the destination with the directions, right? Thomas wants a road map. Thomas wants Google in his ear to say, turn right ahead. Make a U-turn in 300 feet. Thomas wants step-by-step instructions, step-by-step directions about how to get to the place where he's going. And I think, quite frankly, I do too. Right? Wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of instruction in our day-to-day life? Should we take this job or that job? Should we make this move or should we stay where we are? Should we be closer to family? Should we go here or there? God, what should we do? Because we want clear directions. My guess is that if you had like a Google step-by-step directions about how to live through your life, you would follow it to a T. All right, at 25, you're going to meet somebody, marry them. At 30, you're going to get a job offer, take it. At 35, just say no. At 40, so on and so forth. That sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds great to me. Except that that isn't God, right? That's more like a fortune cookie. And if God's a fortune cookie, we got lots of problems. You know what I'm saying? See, for Thomas and for us, I think that we get so caught up in the step-by-step directional approach that we ultimately miss the goal. We confuse the directions with the destination. We confuse the destination with the directions. And we think that the point is to follow the step-by-step directions to arrive at the correct destination. But the point is that we simply arrive where Jesus is leading us to. Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm the way, I'm the path. It may not be step-by-step directions in the way that you want, but if you follow me, if you keep in step with me, you're going to ultimately arrive at the destination that is the Father and that is ultimately me in your pursuit of the Father. So while it may not be a step-by-step instructions, it may be more like a walk after dinner. It may look more like a leisurely stroll as we pursue life instead of a well-planned vacation itinerary. And again, Jesus is trying to take a, a very, very familiar concept, a very, very similar concept to what they already know, and he's trying to make it something that he can connect a spiritual truth with. See, the, the Old Testament, the law, the Torah, was best understood in this capacity as a way to walk with God. 
as a way to preserve a relationship with God, right? The, the Hebrew word that refers to these types of directions means walk. It means path. It means going on a stroll together. We take those laws and we interpret them into exact standards about how to live. We take what is a leisurely, relationally walk and we transform it into Google step-by-step directions, And God says, that's not the point. That's not what we're focused in on. That's not the objective of what we're trying to achieve. The Jews do this. Thomas does this. We do this all around, right? In the Old Testament, it looked like not eating shellfish or wearing mixed fiber clothing. For us today, it looks like what we do between 9 a.m. to noon on a Sunday morning. To Thomas, it looked like needing to know step-by-step directions in the way to follow Jesus, but Jesus uses this familiar idea of a path, of a way, of a walk. In other words, he says, take what we've done the last three years, getting up and rising together and walking and pursuing each other, the physical presence of Jesus, and just keep doing that, he says to his disciples. Keep following the way that I marked out, the way in which to live. Keep following that path and ultimately you're going to arrive at a destination. You're going to arrive at the Father. You're going to arrive at the truth, which is also me. And in order to get you there, I have sustaining power. I have sustaining life to give you along with the journey. So here's my observation on this series. Again, we're in week five. We've got one week left next week, but every single week, there's the same theme that's been developing. Maybe you've picked up on it. I don't know, but it's been painfully obvious to me. And all of these I am statements and all of these statements of Jesus, he seems to be saying the same thing about himself, and they're all connected with life. They're they're all connected with sustaining and preserving and protecting and and living life, right? Week one, what did we talk about? The bread of life. Just like you need food to live physically, so you need food spiritually to live. We talked about the light of the world. How do we follow the path that God has marked out for us? Don't worry, I'll show you. I'll be a light to guide you. The way to live, illuminating the way to live, right? For what purpose? To have life. He's a gate to protect and preserve life. He's the good shepherd which lays down his life in order to protect and preserve our life. Last week we looked at the resurrection and the life, right? Though you may die physically, you will live spiritually. Every single statement that Jesus has made where he says, I am, it's like he's highlighting, he's circling in red. He's trying to draw our attention to one fundamental truth that he is life. That the point of all of this, that his birth, his death, his resurrection, is that we might experience life that is truly life. Life that is real, that can be counted upon. Life that fills the wind in our sails. Life that is truly life. And here's a bit of the problem. I've been thinking about this quite literally for weeks, trying to figure out how do we convey this in a way that makes sense. Because to say Jesus is our life is such a big concept, it's so hard to wrestle with and make practical. How do we, how do we take this and make it something that we can actually hold on to? Right? Because I think that Jesus is trying to do that seven times with the disciples. He's trying to make it very, very practical, very, very tangible, something that you can hold on to. So what does that look like for us? And I began to think about how Jesus connected the ideas and And one of the things that I think resonates with me is just this idea of bread, of eating, right? Because I I seldom miss a meal. You know what I mean? 
Like, I seldom miss a meal. It takes a lot for me to miss a meal, and if I miss a meal, I'm usually thinking about it all stinking day that I missed a meal, right? But if I miss Bible reading, I'll pick it up tomorrow, right? If I skip my prayer time, that's a bummer, but life's busy, right? And that's just kind of how things work out. See, the, the issue, here's the issue that at least I see in my own life, maybe you can resonate with this, is that Jesus says he is the life. But I know that if I don't read my Bible, I'm not going to drop over dead. Right? Maybe you haven't discovered that. Don't try it. You will drop over dead. That's what happens. When I skip prayer, right, my day still goes on. When I miss church for a week, it's not like my life stops and I feel like I'm missing out on some grand cosmic peace. I know that life still goes on, right? We still get busy. And so Jesus comes down. He spends life day in and day out with his disciples, teaching them and saying the same things over and over again. And every statement about who he is is trying to draw this connection that who I am is your very giving and sustaining life. Without me, you are dead. But we see in our practical experience that that's not quite how it measures up. So here's the thought process that I just want to encourage you with, to dare you to think through, to to dare you to process through. What if Jesus really meant everything that he said? And what if just like we need bread for our physical life and light for our physical life and shelter and protection and all of those things that are illuminated by these I am statements, what if we recognize that we need those to protect and preserve our physical life? What if each of those things is just as fundamentally true about how our spiritual lives operate? What if our spiritual life is completely dependent on Jesus, just as our physical sustenance is dependent on bread, just as as we walk through life, we need these time in and time out conversations to be reminded of that. What if Jesus was your life? What would have to change? What would have to shift? What would happen if, just like when you missed too many meals, you would find yourself malnourished and weakened and not even able to move? What would happen if we connected that thought with the spiritual reality of Jesus being our life? What if we could hold up a mirror or a window into the spiritual world that C.S. Lewis describes as existing just outside of our peripheral vision? What if we could stare full-faced into it? And instead of seeing our own reflection of a, of a well-fed, well-maintained, well-groomed person, instead we saw a window into our spiritual life. Emaciated, famished, unable to stand, unable to do anything on its own because instead of connecting the life-giving power of Jesus, we just show up on Sundays when it's convenient. We just read our Bible so long as we can make time and so long as things aren't busy. What I think that Jesus is trying to convey to us is that more important than our physical sustenance is he for our spiritual sustenance, but it's not real because we don't feel it. But I think we do feel it. I just think we don't connect it sometimes. See, if you only ate one meal a week, and you came to eat that one meal, you would come starving and hungry and famished. But when we come once a week to worship, we feel disconnected from the Spirit of God. It's hard for us to step into a worshipful frame of mind because we've been disconnected for so long. When we pick up our Bible and dust it off, it's not like a return to something great. It feels more like a chore. It doesn't feel like life. 
And if this series could reorient anything in my world and in your world, it would be to connect that dot. What if I needed Jesus like I needed bread and water? What if he was my sustenance for life? What would that look like for us? What if, what if reading your Bible was like bread? It was like a meal. What if reading your Bible was something that you just depended on for strength and sustenance for your day? What if prayer was like water, right? To be drank consecutively and throughout the entire day. And what if it sustained you and quenched your thirst for God, right? What if church was a buffet and you would never miss a free buffet so you come to experience the fullness that is God at work? And what if baptism was like Thanksgiving dinner, right? Where it's just like all out there. And, and salvation is like a deep fried Twinkie at a carnival. Like, I don't know what salvation is, right? But it's good and it's great, right? What if we connected those spiritual truths with our physical life, right? Because I don't miss meals, but I miss reading my Bible. And it doesn't mean the same thing to me. And I think that this is what Jesus is trying to illustrate about who he is. He's trying to connect these dots, use these powerful metaphors, these concepts that we can connect with and go, this is who I am. And let me tell you, your eternal life is more important than your physical life, but we don't feel it and experience it the same way. What would it take for us to change and to stop doing things in our life that let our souls mal that left our souls malnourished? What would we need to start doing to feed life into our spirits? What would it look like to continue on in this path? Or a better question, what would you not do in order to preserve your life? If you go to the doctor and get medical news about your diet and he says, if you don't change these three things, you're going to die, chances are you would do those three things. I think that this is the prescription that Jesus gives us in the I am statements. If you don't do these things, not in the sense of laws and rituals and checking the boxes, all those types of things, but if you don't see me as your bread of life and your sustenance, if I'm not the light to your world, if I'm not the gate that allows things in and out of your life or the shepherd that leads you where to go, if I'm not the resurrection and the life for you, if I'm not the path that you walk down, then you will die. And we just kind of keep on keeping on. I think that Jesus is trying to highlight, draw our attention to go, no, I am your life. Come into me. Come take this. It's a free gift and it's for you. Jesus says, I am the way to get to the Father and the path that you take. Not only that, but I'm the, I'm the gate, I'm the truth, I'm the destination ultimately that allows you to enter into the Father's house. And again, the point of all of this is not to keep you on a razor's edge to know whether or not you're following God or not. The point is that you would have life and that you would have it in full in every place that it mattered. And where it matters more is this unseen place that we seldom pay much attention to in our spiritual lives. So we're going to end today by taking communion. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I just want to give you an opportunity to think through this a little bit, right? Communion is what we're celebrating, right? Jesus took the Passover meal and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we get to celebrate that together. And I just want you to process through what it looks like that just as this bread sustains you, again, it's not a meal, right? So it's just like a little square. It's, it's a morsel, right? What does it look like for just as your meal, as your lunch, as the food that you'll partake of after this sustains you, 
What if as you took that bread, you invited or you asked Jesus to illuminate what it would be like to count on that in your life? As you dip it into the grape juice, imaging his shed blood for our sins, what if instead of just satisfying your thirst, which this won't because it's small and temporary, what if you invited the Holy Spirit to be the one that quenches your spiritual thirst? What if this wasn't just bread and juice? What if this was the gateway to life? What if it was an invitation to compare the things that give us life in the physical world and to ally those things with who Jesus is in our spiritual lives. So I want to encourage you to take some time to think and pray through that while I give some instructions. We here at The Porch practice open communion, which means so long as you're a member of the family of faith, so long as you're a part of Jesus, you are welcome at this table, even if by expressing this you are confessing an invitation to invite Jesus into your life. So there are bread cut up into squares and juice on each table. You'll take the bread, you will dip it into the juice, and then you can partake of it that way. I'm going to invite for a little bit of instruction and for a little bit of non-chaos that these two sections, you're going to empty into this middle row kind of right here, come up front, take the bread, dip it into the juice, exit towards the wall, and then enter your section from the opposite side that you got out of. So you guys will enter from that side, you guys will enter from this side. Same thing for you guys over here. These two rows, middle, come up front, exit around to the wall, enter from your section from the opposite side that you left. We're not going to dismiss you by rose. We're just going to sing another song. And as you have time and opportunity, I would encourage you to partake. Maybe that means you need to sit and just pray and quietly reflect on some of the questions. Maybe it means that that you need to come up first and foremost so that you can connect that, that taste in your mouth with the life that it gives you and instead connect that with who Jesus is. I don't know what it will be for you, but you have this song to partake and participate. One more kind of disclaimer. Uh, If you have kids who've made the decision to follow Jesus and you'd like them to participate in in, uh, communion, uh, please go and get them after the service. We'll leave the bread and the juice up uh, for just a moment, and uh, we would love for that to happen. Uh, But when you go and get your kids now, it creates chaos in our kids' environment. So you can absolutely do that. If you would do that after the closing song, uh, we'll make sure that you have the opportunity to experience that. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and to pray with me. And if you're brave enough or if you're convicted enough or if the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, I just dare you to ask him that question. Holy Spirit, where do I need more life? Where is my spirit a little, a little fatigued? Where is my spirit a little hungry? Where am I a little famished because I haven't been feeding and sustaining myself with Jesus? Would you ask him to teach you this lesson? Jesus, teach me what it means for you to be my life, for me to draw my sustenance from you. God, would you be like bread to me? Would you be like food to me? Would you be like water to quench my thirst? God, would you be my protection? Would you be my provider? Would you be my life? And would my life be caught up in you? And would you ask the Holy Spirit to teach you that today? And as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus by partaking in communion, would you allow him, would you ask him to connect those things for you? 
that this wouldn't just be bread and this wouldn't just be juice, but that it would be an image of Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for our sins. And as we partake in that, that it would be not just life giving to our physical bodies, but that it would be an indicator of the life given to our spirits, that Christ is our resurrection and our life, and that as we go forward, that he is the way that we walk in, the truth that we walk in, and is in fact our life. Jesus, we boldly pray and ask you these things. God, don't treat us like obstinate children. We don't just want to know why, why, why. God, we want to trust in what you've already told us, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And as we commemorate that with this, an opportunity to put that in its most physical terms of expression, God, would you raise new life within us? Would you teach us new things about who you are and how you operate and where we need a refreshing in our lives, where we need life that is truly life? Jesus, would you do this through your power, through your grace, through your risen body on the cross that was broken? for us. God, would you do this to teach us what it means to be alive in Jesus? All God's kids said. Stop us, nothing can hold us down.